Well, we're in Luke 10 today. Um, and to kind of recap where we ended up last week was so discouraging. Luke 9 ended with all these folks who wanted to be disciples, but, you know, it wasn't the right time. They wanted to go on a camping trip. Some wanted to wait until someone passed away. They wanted to go home and say goodbye. And Jesus, and it was kind of a you know, harsh passage. Jesus said, you know, uh, when you put your hand in the till, you don't look back. Um, and within all of that, what Jesus was saying was, to follow my call is not on your timetable. Now, I personally like to be in control and be in charge. I like to set the agenda, right? Um, and, and that's not always bad, not always good. Um, but I think sometimes in regard to my life, I will say there have been times when I wasn't so much looking to hear God's will. I wanted God to endorse my plan. And what Jesus is saying in the end of chapter 9 was, when I call, are you ready to go and my timing, in my space, in my way. That's the road to life. And that's not always about going and leaving somewhere, though, you know, we often physically move, but it's also about God calling to a new thing, even right here, perhaps even in Mountain Home. So we end chapter 9 of kind of this failure, like who can be a disciple? Chapter 10 has a story that's only in this gospel. It's so exciting. So the question is, well, why did Luke include this in this gospel? It's not found in any other of the gospels. It's important to remember also, we're pretty sure the author of Luke was also the author of Acts, right? And Acts, of course, they're connected. And of course, the church, um, um, Acts tells the story of the church kind of after Jesus ascends in the beginning of the church. So in the ancient manuscripts, it's called the Sending of the Seventy or Seventy-Two, and I, and I had forgotten this because I'm old, but reminded this week, what about that number? That number wasn't simply counting off. And so again, Luke 9 ends, like all these folks, all the excuses, like, well, who can do this? We only have 12, because you remember we kind of glanced over it. In the beginning of chapter 9 was the sending of the 12. So why the sending of the 12 in chapter 9 and chapter 10, the 72? Well... In Genesis chapters 10 and 11, the rabbis counted the number of Noah's descendants. And that represented how many nations they believed to exist in the world. And that number was 70 or 72. So the calling of the 72 wasn't simply about like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And by the way, this is an awkward story. Ah, oh, never mind. My, my daughter... My daughter, Sydney, who I said, my daughter wants to come like every week now, by the way. Can I go to Mountain Home? And I'm like, well, you got to get up on time. And she's sleeping in as a four-year-old. Like, get to it. You know, come on. <laughs> so I'll bring her back at some time. She had, a, she had a great time here. I'll bring her back. We brought her in this year. She's going um, to be a kindergartner. Thanks be to Jesus. Um, <laughs> graduate class of 2085, I think. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, but one of the things in kindergarten you do, you have to count, right? And so... You know, and she's a little, she's, I guess, advanced for her age. Um, and so they asked her, can you count? She goes, yes. She goes, can you count to 20? Or can you count to 10? She goes, yes, I can count to 100. The teacher said, well, then show me. <sighs> One, <laughs> two. And my wife and I are watching this. And she's about at 75, and both she and the teacher are bored, but she keeps counting all the way. 
So the point of that story is, it's not simply about counting to 70 or 72, but this idea that God is sending out persons into all the world. So that's the calling of this 72. And in fact, this passage is preparing the church for what it's going to be like when Jesus and the disciples are gone. So, and remember too, the Gospels are being written in a time, this will come back a little bit later, in a time of great and intense persecution. So, um, this is a passage celebrating that while Jesus will be crucified, dead, and resurrected, and the disciples, they will all die, the church and the Gospel will go forward. How do we know that's true? You're sitting here, right? And we're sitting here, right? The gospel keeps going forward, and certainly Christ lives on in our lives, but the good news is God keeps calling folks who are responding. Amen? So, um, in verse 1, um, let's read this text. It's again Genesis, Genesis, sorry, Luke 10, verses 1 through 11. We're going to skip to verses 16 through 20. So if you can, please stand. If you can't, you can stay seated. Those who are able to stand for the honoring the gospel text today. Again, I'm reading of the Common English Bible. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and then 16 through 20. Here's the word. After these things, the Lord commissioned 72 or 70 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and place. Look at this. He was about to go. It's important. He said to them, The harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go, but be warned, though, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals, and no iPhone. Don't, oh, that's a modern translation. Don't even, you have to bring a cell phone. That's a requirement. No. Um, don't even greet anyone along the way. The introvert's favorite verse. Thank you, Valerie. Whenever you enter a house, first say, May peace be on this house. If anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. If not, your blessing will return to you. Remain in this house, eating and drinking whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. But don't move from house to house. Whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. Whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, As a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that has collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. I assure you that Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than, than you. Then verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Well, the 72 returned joyously, saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead. Your names are written in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a great text for us today out of Luke, um, Luke 9 uh, and Luke, into Luke 10. Um, notice that in verse 1, he asked them to go in pairs, two by two. 
I'm not sure that's connected to like Noah and the animals going two by two in the ark. Um, but we know is this, um, it's important that we go in ministry together. We're not alone. One of my favorite texts, and I always get this wrong because I am old, but you can Google it later. I think it was Elijah. Elijah, who had just gone up against in Mount Carmel, um, against all the prophets of Baal, right? And they have these um, sacrifices and ultimately, they have a big challenge on Mount Carmel. Have your God Baal, like, show up. And of course, nothing happened. And so they're, they're killing, they're cutting themselves. The priests are like making Baal show up. Of course, Baal didn't show up. And Elijah says, guess what? I believe in a God of great power. So take all these sacrifices, drench water everywhere. Then he literally calls down fire and God shows up. Whoa! Well, then, the next day, he gets word that Jezebel... Uh, was not happy and going to kill him. So he runs in fear. He had just been a part of this great miracle. He runs in now in fear. And then he goes, kind of whining in a cave, and ultimately he says, God, I'm the only one left. Woe is me. And God's like, yeah, no. I got like 8,000 others. You're not the only one. Relax, right? It's important that we think about our ministry is always together. While you have to respond to God's call, God doesn't have us minister alone. Thanks be to God for that. Um, in fact, Deuteronomy 19.15 says this, that two witnesses are required for a testimony to be credible. Right? It is the idea that God wants us to come together in ministry um, and to show we're proof together. So we do it together. Some of you um, have horses. And I've ridden a horse like a couple times, but I've never had a horse. But I love this story. And I looked on Google and it says it's true, so it has to be true. It's on the internet, right? <laughs> Um, supposedly, uh, they have competitions for like draft horses, for pulling competitions. And supposedly, a, a good, really strong draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds um, by, by one horse. But I've been told you put two horses together, they can sometimes pull up to 24,000 pounds. Now, for those of you who aren't good at math, that's pretty impressive, right? 8,000, one horse. Second horse would be what? 16, but no, they can pull an extra full, full horse together. They think because they know they're doing it together, they're encouraged. Whenever you've gone on long journeys together, to know sometimes you get weak and you get tired and you want to give up. Um, with my, it's been funny this summer, sometimes I work out at NNU's gym, and occasionally my students will be there mostly to laugh at me. Um, but we're in the gym together, and it's amazing how when I'm having the spot for them or them for me, the encouragement says, you can do this, old man. Come on, push through. They're talking about me, in case you weren't sure. Um, but the fact that life is about doing it together. Um, and ministry, and ministry can be hard. And by the way, ministry here isn't simply about Pastor Val or Debbie. All of us can be a minister of the gospel to share God's love and grace wherever we go. But no, we're not doing it alone it is crucial. In fact, in Acts, we're a part of Luke's, Part two, all these pairs that go together. Do you see this? In Acts, you have Peter and John. You have Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. We also know in Acts that sometimes there's conflict in the church. That was happening back then. It might still happen now, right? We prayed to Jesus to help us, right? They had some issues and somebody gave up and so we got somebody else. And, but even in Acts, they had these pairs. Let me say something else that I've been saying. I want to say it more clearly even here. 
It is crucial on our Christian journey that we do it together. Um, not you folks, but other people over in Boise. I've heard them say, I don't need the church. I'm just going to pray and read my Bible by myself. Now, I love that you want to pray and to read your Bible, but it is crucial that you are, we, and obviously you're here, we're part of a local church. Because persons by themselves, all of a sudden the God whom they're worshiping looks a whole lot like themselves. I'm old, I've seen it happen, right? And it is crucial that we celebrate that we do this life together in a community of folks not like us, because God says, I want you to do this together, and by yourself only, you can sometimes get in a world of hurt and pain. Um, that'd be a different sermon, but in other words, the church is important. In this great line, I tried to make the phrase stand out when I read it. They were to go ahead in places that Jesus intended to go. In other words, they were going out ahead of Jesus. Now, this verse, now remember last week we mentioned, um, in that crucial part on Luke 9, when Jesus then turns his face towards Jerusalem. Remember that? And he's on his way to what all the Christians will know will be his death. And this is part of that turning ahead. And we know ironically that Jesus was not going to get to all those nations himself physically. But it celebrates us today that we are called to go out among all the nations to prepare the way to help make Jesus present. Now, and this isn't meant to be a hard or a judgmental question, but it's a question I've been wrestling with, so now you have to deal with it now. How well, when I meet people, do I represent Jesus in a way that when Jesus shows up, they'll recognize him? In other words, a lot of stories about folks who represent other people, right? So you have often governments or dignitaries representing somebody else. How well do we, and reality is this today, to be honest, friends. The folks will know, well, the folks will think the way Jesus is, is the way the church is. So how are we doing? Now, it's not all bad. There are some places though we could do better, couldn't we? But Jesus is saying, you're to go ahead and prepare the way for my grace to come. And who's willing to go? Who's willing to go? That's the invitation for us this morning. And the key for us is this. It's very important. This is happening both here and all throughout this text. This mission and God's calling is actually not all about us. It's about what God is doing in our world. Well, Jesus says this great verse that many of us know. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is bigger than you can imagine. But the workers are few. Um, growing up, there were a number of uh, Christian movies I was forced to watch. And not all of them were terrible. Um, some of them were good. You know, some of them were like, oh, there's a gospel blimp. Ever seen that one? Bad. Don't watch it. It's like scary. I'm like trying to force. It's like not a good idea. Manipulation, fear, and hell, and that's not a good approach. But there's one movie I remember, um, and again, I'm a city kid, so all of this fascinates me. Um, there was a true story of a family, I think, in Kansas, I believe, or Nebraska, um, and they were farmers, and the father had passed away. I think it was a, um, um, he had a heart attack and a tragic accident. And it was near the harvest time. And those of you who are farmers, any farmers here? All right, okay, we have about a hand and a half. So that way I can say things that no one can validate me, so I can't think it would be fine. <laughs> anyway, those of you who are kind of farmers will know. When the harvest is ready, you've got to do it. There's no like, like, oh, I'll get to it a couple months from now. 
right? When the harvest is ready to go, it's like time to go. I mean, the problem was this uh, dad with his, his single farm, they had a lot of work and he had, um, he was gone. And who was going to take care of the harvest? So this great dilemma, what was going to happen? Obviously, the family is grieving. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, the town rallied together. This great scene of all these combines coming down the road. And they bring in the harvest in like a day and a half, right? It's a great sense in which um, God wants us to be a part of this great harvest, but we have to do it together. The other thing about this text, about these, all this harvest, is um, there, well, the invitation is this. There's an urgency, right? The harvest is not going to last forever. And I wonder today, um, where is our place of urgency? Now, again, as I just mentioned, the urgency shouldn't cause us to be awkward and fearful and manipulative, Right? But what kind of urgency do we have in this world to love and care for those in our community? That's the question. Do we sense that kind of urgency? Or it's like, well, I'm kind of busy. I'll get to it later. Again, we, we never operate out of fear. But in this text is saying, look, the harvest is here. Is there an urgency among us to care for those whom God is, is offering to go to? Well, verse 3, more good news. Um, you'll be like lambs before wolves. Congratulations. By the way, whenever you like hear sermons that make being Christian all about easy and no hardship, just know that's to keep on walking, right? Um, and again, um, this idea of lambs before wolves, I think the analogy is interesting because often, and Revelation really says this, Jesus Christ was this lamb who was slain. So in some regard, when he uses the analogy of lambs before wolves, he's saying, and some of you, like me, might be killed for this faith. Now again, Mountain Home 2019, I'm not sure many of us are worried about being killed for our faith here in this city. And that's not necessarily what I'm hoping for all of us, but the reality, or any of us, but the reality is this. Sometimes doing ministry, we are going to face opposition. And as we said it last week, Paul, we're going to say it again for Luke. Um, just because hard times are here does not mean you're not in God's will. Oftentimes we assume I'm doing God's will, it'll all be easy. There'll be no obstacles, Right? But the reality is this. Often when doing God's will, sometimes we'll face a challenge. Um, and the question is, how easy is it for us to want to give up? We hit that first road bump. And that's why, again, guess why? We're not doing it alone. Because by myself, I'm like, it's too hard. I'm out. But when Valerie's with me, he says, Brent, let's do it. We can do it. We can overcome this together. Together and with the Spirit, you know what? We can do all things. That's the end of this verse. It's encouraging this passage. The key is this. But then look again. In fact, if you want to compare the Luke 9 and the Luke about the 12 and the 72, then they talk about what you can bring on this trip. Now, for some of you, um, I well, this week I'm headed out. As our kids go to NYC, um, we're going to kind of do a vacation with my wife and my youngest daughter and meet our kids up later. So I take, send my kids off to the airport um, to, uh, at 6 a.m. Then my daughter, Sydney, and I, just Sydney and I, are going to drive to L.A. 
So this will be exciting. Yeah, my, my daughter is four years old. You've met her. Some of you were here on that Sunday. Um, and my wife is like, is this going to work? And I'm like, well, we're going to give it a shot. But here's the thing about my wife. Um, she is amazing. She will prepare this trip. Um, we're, I mean, for this to go well, it's got to be choreographed. There has to be the iPad. There has to be Disney movies. There has to be coloring. There has to be snacks. So there'll be a dance of our 900-mile journey all the way down, whatever it is, to L.A., right? Preparation is everything. We don't just hop in the car, say, hey, Sydney, let's go to L.A. Uh, we've got to plan this out. Now, going to Mountain Home, not too bad, although you bring some snacks along the way. But to L.A., it's a big deal. I don't like to be needy, right? So preparation is a big deal. Um, but this is what he says, right? Um, like, very similar to the 12 that were said in, in, in chapter 9. He says, don't take stuff, right? Don't carry your wallet or your purse or your sandals, your iPhone, whatever. Um, why? Why? Wouldn't we want to be effective? Be ready to go, not come to a town and be all needy? But here's the thing. In our going, what does it mean that we're going to have to, in our going, rely upon God? The things that I would need, we're going to rely upon God to provide by the folks who are there. And in some regard, and again, we have to be careful before we push this, um, it becomes a blessing for those in that town you go to to help care for some of your needs. And again, I mean, God is not calling us to be irresponsible, but again, like last week, where is there a place of faith to go in our lives? Again, um, I hate to be needy. I hate to come and to ask somebody for something. I want to take care of it all by myself. And again, being responsible is not a terrible thing. But in some regard, if I'm honest, sometimes it's overgirding a kind of pride and arrogance to assume I can provide all I need. So again, in this text here, God is saying, when you go, go in places that you're going to need God to show up. And don't try to take care of all of it by yourself. Um, and that becomes, to be honest, a kind of hard thing for my pride to want to take it. And, and I, again... One of this passage is about is, are we able to release control to God? That's kind of what tithes and offerings are too, right? As we, you know, give back some of that money, you know, it's not as if we're all floating on the millions, but we're saying into God, God, I trust that you'll keep providing all that you have given me. Um, that's what we can give it back in joy, that God, as you have provided, you will provide. And many of you can tell stories about, you know, sometimes when things are going well, it's easier to give. When times are tight, it becomes harder. And many of you have stories about how we navigate those hard days from there. Well, um, so again, chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, or almost, oh, sorry, Luke 9, 5 is very similar to Luke 10, 5 through 7. It's really fascinating how Luke 9 and 10 are kind of paralleled here. And then he says this, for, and the instructions are almost very similar. When you go into a city... Offer them, your, the, the, offer them the peace. It's a weird phrase. Um, I'm going to do a little nerdy thing for a little bit here. Um, ministers have what we called locutionary phrases. What that means is, um, when, I have, when I have the power of the state of Idaho a few weeks ago, I can pronounce you man and wife. And then in the sight of God and the state, guess what? 
You are husband and wife. Those words have a power to them. They do things, right? When you baptize somebody in with water, you, they have been baptized in the church. You do stuff. What Christ is saying here is, in the same way, when you come into a place, you say to them, may God's peace dwell here. And guess what? There's a power that God's peace can dwell there, right? In fact, one of the things um, that we often do sometimes in churches of a greeting time, they often call it the passing of the peace, where I would say, the peace of Christ be with you, and you might respond, and also with you. Let's try it again. The peace of Christ be with you. Well, thank you. That's so helpful. But if you do not return it, Christ says you will take that peace back. In other words, we can offer that peace of God wherever we go, but in some places, if they don't reciprocate that peace back, we'll then... Now remember, for those of you who were here last week, it's a good this is part of the quiz. Remember last week, we told a story. And Jesus said his face is going toward Jerusalem, and they went into what area? Oh, good job. Someone got an A in the quiz. Samaria. And the Samaritans welcomed them or rejected them? Rejected. And the disciples wanted to do what Elijah had done and said, fine, call on fire and consume them. Can we kill them, Lord? And Jesus like, no. We walk back. We walk away. Similarly here, um, when they reject you, and again, by the way, this is a couple of verses later, they're not rejecting you, are they? Now, this is the hard part. They're not rejecting you, are they? It sure feels like they're rejecting you, doesn't it? Right? Again, as, as Christ even said, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the one who sent me, right? But when you go and they say, no, you take, come back, you wipe the dust off their feet, literally, no part of that town and you'll move on. Now, again, in this going, not all are ready to receive. We don't, that's not a, a, a statement of hatred or condemnation, but when that peace is offered, that peace is not returned, we don't call on fire and blow them up. We just say, okay, I'm going to move on, right? Now, again, it's also important, again, as a theologian, it's always, every verse can like go in like many bad ways. We're not saying the folks who want to like go and like have people like be lost forever. We're not saying God's giving up on them, Right? But it could be in that time, in that place, they weren't yet ready. So we're not leaving in hatred and disgust. We're saying, now maybe isn't the right time. Well, we're saying, you're not responding now. And so my time is on. Perhaps someone else will come in the future. So it's not lost forever, but it is they weren't ready to respond. But again, when you go into places, what does it mean that God is inviting you to offer the peace of Christ in that place. Um, I mentioned I've lived all over. Part of one of my times in the wilderness was in Chicago uh, for three years. Um, and I had been mostly working in the church most of my life. I, I had a little job at Microsoft, actually um, putting Microsoft 95 or Windows 95 together. Those of you old people, remember Windows 95? I packaged that. It wasn't for you. It was for Latin America. But I was in Seattle and packaging Windows 95. And now, of course, there's no CDs or boxes. It's all just, you know, wirelessly. So anyway, um, but most of my jobs are in churches. And my first job was being a church janitor. I'm awesome at cleaning urinals. It's, I'm very talented at cleaning a urinal. It's very good. I'm good at it. Um, 
Um, but I went to Chicago after being in youth ministry full time for about six years. And I went to go get um, a PhD, needed a job, and so I ended at UPS. Now, UPS is a great company. Um, they do a lot of wonderful things besides delivering your packages. But it was a very rough environment. This is in Chicago, UPS. Most of the folks there, we'll be honest, and um, folks who ended up there, and many of those I worked with, um, they had not had good lives. They had kind of ended up there. Um, this is their kind of long-time assignment. And um, managers and bosses were mean to others. And I, of course, I was in a different life spot, and so I was yelling back at them, telling them don't be mean to others. But I get sometimes, you might go into places where it is not easy to have the peace of Christ come. But for me, one of the things that became my calling there is how can I bring God's love and peace and grace to these folks who do not like themselves, don't like their life, don't like their job. They were in misery. And I said, God, and it wasn't easy. God, help me in this tough space to let your peace come on these, these folks' lives. I will say one of the joys is a couple of those folks through Facebook, we've stayed in contact. Um, but you've sometimes been in hard situations, and it is not easy, but the invitation is, how are you invited to have your peace rest on those persons? Um, even persons, perhaps, it's not easy to let your peace come. Well, then they have this notion about what these folks are called to do. Um, he said, when you go to places, um, receive what they give you. Um, Oh, we forgot one thing. I forgot it. Sorry. And after, I forgot one thing. It's very important. Um, he said, when they're after the list of things not to bring, he said, and don't talk to anybody. Again, the introvert's, the introvert's favorite verse. On your way, be focused. Um, the point is this. Um, often having conversations in that first century would often be a two or three day deal. If you're on your way, you have to get no family members. And basically what Christ is saying is not to be rude to people, but... Don't be distracted from what God is calling you to do. Right? So again, be careful not to use verses out of context. Um, but the focus is key. So then they go to these places. And when you go to these places to receive you well, don't like hop around. Sometimes the places you go, you might really, you know, it's fine. Um, and what they give you. And I, I've been invited as a pastor over to many folks' um, homes. And, um, and you've done that several times. and I've loved it. Occasionally, not here, um, in Kansas, I was over to this great house, and they were so excited to give me a meal with broccoli and au gratin potatoes. Now, you might love broccoli and au gratin potatoes. I detest them. <laughs> if, you, if you take me to your house, I will eat those things. But he is saying, I have to go to restaurants and order what I want, right? By the way, when you go to a restaurant... Are you a person that orders the same thing every time or something new every time? So if you're the same thing every time, raise your hand. Order the same thing every time. Look at those people. They are happy people, right? <laughs> right? They know they're going to have a good meal. How many of you get something new every time? Okay? You might be happy. You might hate it. See, securing your future, right? I'm making the same thing. Olive Garden, every restaurant. Uh, uh, where, um, yeah, Hamburger Place, Red Robin. Whiskey River every time, it's fabulous. Since I was like eight years old, right? Or 80 years, right? Um, the other great verse that all mothers enjoy, and mothers feel free to use it on your children, and you'll be happy to receive what they put before you in the meal, right? It's a great verse for mothers, right? Or whoever cooking in the house, right? Take what you have. And the point there is this. 
you can't be at this house that's okay, but you know, like the, the Jones house, they got the ice cream and the steak. I want to go to that house. God's like, nope. You go where you're planted, and <laughs> it's a great parent line, you will be thankful. <laughs> right? You'll be thankful. Essentially, when we're in a place where we can't control or receiving what's happening, God, we rely upon God, and then um, be thankful for what you have, because it is not about you. Well, the 72 go out, and things go very well. They come back like, whoa, we have power. Uh, the demons are coming out. And by the way, one other quick thing too. Remember, we said this several times before. When they were healing people, whether it was demons or diseases, it was a sign that God's kingdom was breaking out. Because remember, this might be like awkward news. All the folks whom Jesus healed physically and they healed physically, they all died. Right? They're all going to die. Oh, this is also important. We do yet about John the Baptist and the dead girl. This is an important, good theology lesson for you. John the Baptist and the dead girl were not resurrected. Okay? They were resuscitated. Right? Because to be resurrected means you will never die again. And Lazarus, who was raised up, and the dead girl, guess what happened eventually? Yeah, they died. Right? But they were signs of looking forward to Christ's resurrection and the resurrection that we will all experience one day. All right, that's a small little lesson for you. Um, but the issue is this. As God is bringing forth new life and, and those demons are going out and people are being, the blind are being able to see, all that's wonderful, but it's a sign that God's kingdom is breaking out and God has power over all disease. And God has power even over death. Um, but Jesus says, okay, that's cool. But don't forget, these spirits were being submitted to you, not in your name, but in my name. And then he says this great, I hope you caught that verse in chapter, uh, verses 18 and 19. There is no power that can take you out. You've been given authority over all things. In, fact, in the Bible, you notice that scorpions and snakes, after that verse about Satan falling like lightning, think about the garden scene, and then the, there's a great um, kind of prophecy throughout Scripture about, I think it's, oh, I didn't look it up ahead of time. I think it's Eve's foot will trample on the head of snakes. That's happening. There's a connection here to this text, right? Essentially, God is saying, my authority is being placed upon you, so do not be afraid. But guess what? It is not your power or your authority. It is mine. But then he says the end. And after all this, all that God's doing through you, don't get so excited about what you're doing. Be excited that you are with me now and will be in heaven. It's, it's a temptation, even doing great ministry of the church and compassionate ministry, that we can make it, man, aren't we awesome? We are awesome, aren't we? Come on, Tom, we're awesome. Look at that suit coat today. Man, that looks so good. Every Sunday now. No, okay. Um, it's a temptation to say, wow, we're great. And again, we are to be thankful and we, we praise the faithfulness of God's people. But here's the catcher. It is always about God. And God is the center. God receives the praise. And we're invited to be part of the party. And with all that, never forget 
what most gives us joy is our union in heaven with God. And heaven isn't simply about going somewhere else. It's not only that. It's about that love of God we have right now in our lives. So, where is God sending you? I hope that's not outside of Mountain Home. Okay, makes for one exception, right? But God might be sending some of you outside. And, and, you know, but don't hear this is only about for like the pastors. This is about what does God want to send you in your workplace, in your home, in your communities. One um, of the Mountain Home does well, Nazarene, is we are you're very engaged. We're very engaged in the community, which is so crucial. Um, even among people for whom it is not always easy to do that with, right? Um, but God is saying, the harvest is plentiful. Who's willing to be used by me to go? One thing, too, I want to mention. It's a weird phrase that Jesus says, and plead for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Well, sometimes, why would I pray something that God should already be making happen? It's a weird verse. I wonder if some of the reason might be because as we pray that prayer, God might be saying, that's right, and I want, to, I want you to be the answer to that prayer. I'd also say this. This is why I'm thinking of NYC this week. While God wants all of us to be ministers of the gospel in our worlds, God is also and still calling and raising up folks to be future. Pastor Debbie and Pastor Vals and Pastor Brents. Because we're going to get old and die someday, right? And there's, how is God calling more folks into the ministry? Um, my prayer for NYC is for all those students to be transformed. Um, we had the privilege of being at camp, and we had many, about 15 kids, who were called in the full-time ministry. Um, and we pray, God, raise that next generation of leaders in your church. Um, and, and we'll be blessed. Well, I've gone a little long today. The first week, I was told we were done at 11. But then I was told we go until 1230. So I'm going out. Like, <laughs> so... I'm going to ask Pastor Val to come on up and sing. And let's pray together this morning. Gracious God, thank you this day for your word. Lord, it's so exciting to think about those 72, whether physically or metaphorically, your gospel is going out, has gone out to all the world. And Lord, somehow, in some way, it reached us. Maybe we were the first in our family, or you reached our families way back. But Lord, that gospel has kept going forward, and it is life-giving, and we are testaments of that. But Lord, there is still a harvest to be reaped. So Lord, we pray you keep sending us and sending others into that harvest. Lord, may it never be about us. May it be about your glory. Lord, I think particularly about the Mountain Home Church. Thank you, Lord, for our great board and our DS. Thank you for their great work. And Lord, we pray that you keep preparing the board and the DS and this future family or couple or single individual. We don't even know who will be this next leader here. But Lord, thank you for Tom's testimony that the, the board has sensed your spirit's presence. And Lord, we keep, they would keep, we would keep finding that presence. They would find our discernment. And Lord, we just look forward in joy to the work you're going to do through our DS and our board and these new candidates, Lord. We are not in fear, but hopeful. So Lord, thank you for our board. Thank you that your grace is going to prepare even us. But in the meantime, Lord, there's still harvest to be had in Mountain Home. And we're not going to wait. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and respond to this question. Who will go out this week be a part of the harvest, even a mountain home. We pray in the Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's sing. May you have eyes to see and ears to hear the places where God is sending you this week in your world.
Go in the love and the grace and the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that power. Amen.